Hello and welcome to the Wicked Things Podcast. We present to you Stadler House Book 2 Emily. How would you move on if you suffered the terrible loss of your family at a friend's hand? That is what Emily Stevens has been trying to do for almost two decades, but her past seems hell-bent on haunting her till her dying days. She has continued to suffer and now finds herself locked away in a mental health facility. Dr. Stadler, hypnotized and forced her to forget parts of her past, before his incarceration. Dr. Waters, under court orders continues to try and determine if Emily is sane enough to stand trial for murder. Rodney, has moved on as one of the two survivors of the Stadler House Massacre. But it seems fate has put him and Emily in a direct path towards one another. Who knows how this will all end or if it will end. Otherworldly forces are clearly at work in this small town of Port St. John, Florida. The central Florida small town called Port St. John has a dark past its residents desperately want to forget. The residents are quick to dismiss prying questions about the gruesome events that took place there under their noses. The deaths of five orphans at the hands of their caregiver, Dr. Stephen Stadler. Time has passed since the events at the Stadler Group Home, or Stadler House. The residents have allowed the old home, hidden on its property by overgrown trees and tall grass, to fall into disrepair and hopefully fade from memory. It has become a place of fearful urban legend and terrifying dares among the teens of the area. The county built the Indian River Mental Health Center to meet the growing mental health needs of the residents. The county jail and local law enforcement sent prisoners deemed criminally insane by the court to the facility for evaluation and treatment. This new facility steadily filled with patients over the months that followed its opening. The unremarkable county building rests at the center of a large asphalt-covered parking lot with a rear intake area, like an emergency room ambulance admittance location. IRMHC protected residents from those contained inside with on-site security to patrol the grounds and a tall, chain-link fence surrounding its perimeter. The Indian River Mental Health Center established its processes for care and treatment before opening its doors. Staff at the facility made use of modern approaches to ancient practices for helping the disturbed. IRMHC earned accolades over its 20 years of service. This is not the story of one of those events. The oak trees encircling the Indian River Mental Health Center have changed color, matching the autumn conditions which have laid claim to the state. The smell of sulfur, mildew, and mold fill the air of the once sprawling swampland turned into usable commercial land. IRMHC parking lot's lights allow travelers to see it at night. This rural location of the site creates pitch-black conditions on starless nights. The building's sparse windows creates a space that can seem timeless with little sign of the passing of days or nights by the residents of the facility. Four white scrubs-clad men, wearing dark leather shoes and belts, gather outside of a patient's room along the terrazzo-floored hallway. The senior security officer stands between the door and his much younger men issuing a final warning. Emily may be small. Don't let that fool you. She has killed before, 
and she is more than capable of doing it again. Don't let your guard down for even a second. The younger security officers nod in an understanding of the instructions given to them. The senior officer distributes a series of restraints to his associates. Henry, the youngest and newest of the security officers, stands ready to enter the room first, armed with a riot shield. The other two officers line up directly behind him, ready for a difficult entry into the patient's room. The senior officer knocks on the patient's door. Emily, stand away from the door. We're here to take you to your treatment with the doctor. The men await the response, which will let them know how the rest of their night will go. The men jump, startled by something slamming against the door from inside. Emily screams, Come get me! I'll kill y'all! The senior officer inserts the key into the lock and looks to his men. The lead security officer lowers his head, making ready for entry. His palms sweat, loosening the firm grip he started with. The door latch slides free with an audible click. The senior officer pulls the door wide open to allow his men to enter. Dr. Daniel Waters rubs firm against his temples in preparation of his favorite patient. His wooden office chair creaks with Dr. Waters' slow rocking motion. His desire for control and order forces him to match the groans of the chair in time with the audible ticks of the wall-mounted clock. Where are they? Dr. Waters flips open the patient chart in front of him. The loud tick sound of the clock fills the small room. Dr. Waters rubs his temples, seeing the time in the wall-mounted clock. Again. Dr. Waters stares out of the filthy, reinforced window and beyond its iron bars. The late afternoon clouds above the private Port St. John Mental Health Facility tint the sunlight a faint purple light. A smile lifts the corners of his chestnut beard, his smile melts into a frown as sounds of a struggle fill the hallway beyond the office door. Not again. He lowers his head and presses his lips tight together. The office's heavy wooden door burst open its translucent security glass rattles as it collides with the rubber wall-mounted doorstop. Dr. Waters turns from the window, rubbing the corners of his eyes with his left hand. He exhales and replaces his prescription eyeglasses, his focus on an all-too-common display taking place before him. Emily, do we have to go through this every single time? The four large men in white uniforms struggle to keep the petite woman under control, each man white-knuckling a single limb of the woman, baring her teeth, Emily thrashes against their grip. Get off me! The salt and pepper hired senior guard wipes his sleeve against the sweaty brow and pulls against her clothes to force her into the chair opposite the doctor. He faces Dr. Waters, shaking his head, and raises a single eyebrow. She's in quite the mood today, Doc. The guards bind her with steel chains to the chair, with a round metal floor connector below it. She bites at the guards. 
The small room fills with the loud clack of tooth against tooth. How bite your fucking faces off! A younger, angry guard moves nose to nose with the woman and pokes her in the chest. He turns to face Dr. Waters. That should hold her. You want us to stick around this time? The young man notices Dr. Waters' eyes widen in shock and mouth fall open. He spins to face Emily. She clamps her teeth down around the man's index finger. Jump! He screams and pulls his wounded hand away from her blood-covered lips. Emily smiles and coughs out the last two knuckles of his index finger across the room. The finger bounces and slides under Dr. Waters' desk. The remaining guards drag their wounded associate away from her immediate proximity. They told you not to take your eyes off me! Blood falls to the floor beneath her in large splotches as she laughs at his pain. You bitch! The guards drag him from the room. The lead guard glares at Dr. Waters, then to Emily. He opens his mouth to speak, but stops when confronted by a blood-filled grin from the small woman in her faded orange corrections uniform. M. Renicott probably gave me high cholesterol. Emily flops back in her chair, smile gone. Her smile fades as she sets her focus on Dr. Waters. What do you want? Emily pulls against her restraints to find any weakness, but finds none. The senior guard runs his fingers through his hair as he closes the door behind himself. Good luck, Doc. The sounds of the wounded man's wails of agony fade into the distance. The doctor strolls to Emily's side of the desk. He drags his chair behind him and sits down beyond her reach. Dr. Waters opens the chart with Emily's name in the center of its cover on an off-white label. Six months. Six whole months now. He closes the chart and clears his throat. You ready to talk to me yet? Emily squints her eyes and shrugs. She coughs, sending blood flying onto the floor. You don't want to hear this story. Get out of here already. She waves her hand to dismiss the doctor. Dr. Waters pulls out a long yellow legal pad from inside the desk drawer and places it on the desktop. He opens his jacket to pull a ballpoint pen from the inside coat pocket. He stretches briefly, side to side. He stretches briefly, side to side. I'm ready when you are. He confidently taps the end of the pen against the legal pad. Emily pulls at her restraints, seeing if she has enough length to reach her face and hair. Moments of violent tugging against her chain results in her relenting to them. She peeks at the doctor through her matted, dark hair. I can't believe you want to hear this, don't you? She scratches her jaw. And they think I'm the nut job. Dr. Waters gestures for Emily to wait a moment. He retrieves a small audio cassette recorder out of his jacket and places it center on the desk facing Emily. He clicks the record button, and the small red light glows. 
This is Dr. Waters with Emily Stevens on September 18, 1996 at 5 o'clock. The patient, after six months of care, has offered a positive response for a discussion of the events leading up to the state forcibly taking custody of her. Emily narrows her eyes and crosses her arms at the doctor's wordy description of her incarceration. You don't know what you're talking about. She lowers her head closer to her hands, allowing her to pinch the bridge of her nose and squeezes her eyes tight. Are you okay with me recording this session? Dr. Waters shrugs, uncaps his pen, and prepares to allow the yellow legal pad to lay claim to her undoubtedly delusional story. Whatever. She flops against the chair's back with a loud thump. Let's get this over with. They run out of pudding around here at dinner time. She wipes at the bloodstains on her clothes. Dr. Waters frowns and puts the tip of the pen on the top of the first long yellow page. From the beginning, Mrs. Stevens, the facts, please, as you recall them. Okay. He bites at the inside of his cheek, expecting a violent response to his question. Emily sucks on her teeth and takes a deep breath. I've finished my training. In time for my first hospice home care patient had come. She flips her hair away from her bloody face. This is what I heard the others say to the police from the interrogation room next to mine. There, let me help refresh your memory. Dr. Waters leafs through the pages of the file and removes a series of photos. He places them on the table in front of her at the edge of her reach. Emily picks up the photo from the desktop and examines it. The first photo shows a daytime image of a green-and-white roadside sign that reads Port St. John. A car passes oblivious to a private country road marked by a rusty steel cattle gate with a no-trespassing sign dangling from a single bolt. Grass grows tall around the round wood posts supporting the gate on either side. In the second photo, the image she studies shows a long gravel road which cuts deep through the swampland passing between ancient cypress trees full of thick gray Spanish moss. The old swamp road ends a hundred yards before a clearing in front of a small ranch-style home of her first hospice in-home client, Mr. James Hill. He sets the third photo down which continues the story. She nods as she looks at the image of two mid-sized sedans rest in front of the covered long wooden wrap-around porch at the front of the entrance. One sedan, a late 1980s four-door Ford LTD with faded burgundy body paint complete with many rust spots. The tires of the off-red car show signs of dry rot, but the rear passenger side tire has been flat for some time. The second navy blue Nissan sedan in rough but working order. Dr. Waters places the fourth photo on the table. It exposes the area from above. A thick veil of oak and cypress trees nearly obfuscates the area from prying eyes. Emily has difficulty spotting the hunter greenhouse with dark brown windows and door trim in the picture, the site of the death of her professional dreams. 
The fifth photo exposes an unflattering angle. Emily recoils, seeing herself covered in mud and filth from the swamp. She can see the restraints on her wrists being used by deputies to lead her from the swamp and muck. A handful of deputies lead search dogs out of the swamp after a manhunt to recover Emily, or her remains. I thought you wanted me to tell the story from the beginning. Emily lifts her gaze from the photos to face Dr. Waters. She flops back into her chair, causing her chains and cuffs to rattle. These are the sheriff's scene photos from court. She calms herself and continues her tale. I heard what Brenda and the others told the court. Dr. Waters' confusion grows, compelling him to thumb through the chart seeking references to her statement. They didn't include any of the court transcripts. He scratches his chin and bites at his lower lip. Fine, seeing as we do not have that information. For today, suppose you tell me what you believe you heard them say in court. He writes on his yellow legal tablet messily, Get a copy of the court transcripts. Promise you won't think I'm crazy because of what she said. Emily winks at him. Dr. Waters chuckles at the thought of her being anything less than crazy, but he stops himself. The smile on her face fades, and her eyes narrow. His courageous facade slips under her scrutinizing gaze. In a burst of motion, she lunges at Dr. Waters, but the steel restraints hold her fast in place. It's a nervous reflex, I promise. I mean nothing by it. Dr. Waters stands behind his chair hands held, palm open in submission to her. Emily collapses on the chair, with a frown set on her face. Please, let's get this recorded. There may be grounds enough to help mitigate your sentence. These notes get sent to the judge. The judge may change your sentence or even order your release altogether. Dr. Waters leans in close, smiling, with his fingers clasped in his lap. I hope you brought plenty of cassette tapes. I wouldn't want you to miss anything. The side of Emily's mouth quirks upward, revealing to Dr. Waters the disturbing orange-red tint of blood still clinging to her teeth. She claimed all this happened before the agency sent me out to replace her. I thought it's all a bunch of garbage personally, but I was in a financial bind. Brenda called the home office after a series of events at the home in those pictures. James Hill's home, Emily said. Dr. Waters slides to the front of his chair, scratching his cheek. Wait, wait, wait. You're telling me that house belongs to James Hill? Or belong to? Yes, Emily digs her small finger's nail between two of her bottom teeth. She pulls a meaty red fleshy chunk from between them. James Hill, Dr. Waters says in an uncertain tone as he flips through her file. He lets his eyes meet hers as he pushes his eyeglasses higher on the bridge of his nose. Emily nods in agreement with his observation. Her attention returns to the red chunk held between her fingers. She shrugs and flicks it across the room. The red gooey mess hits his gunmetal gray filing cabinet and sticks firm. She snickers at the result of her scraps firm hold on the cabinet. James Hill, 
the child killer from the 1970s. Dr. Waters fidgets with his pen and paper as he waits for her response. Hmm. I thought he was dead, or still in prison. Yeah, trust me, more bodies are still on that property. The basement walls have stories still to tell. Emily smiles and rubs her hands together. Dr. Waters waves off the advance of Emily's story. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's slow down and hold on to that for now. Let's focus on what Brenda said for now. We'll come back to the other victims still on this property later. Emily closes her eyes, and in the darkness of her mind, she experiences the sensation of falling backwards. A pinhole of light appears in the black veil of unconsciousness. Then a single pinhole of light erupts, creating more, weaving a star-covered tapestry across the shroud of darkness. The tapestry of stars rushed toward her, becoming brighter and larger. I got to admit, I really like this Stadler House series. If you like it to don't forget to throw us a like or subscribe. But for now this is the Wicked Things Podcast signing off. Until next time. Goodbye.